Facial expressions. Why are they so key in trying to detect first-party fraud? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group, and I'm talking with two experts on this topic today. I'm talking with Robert Nolan with Ivy Stone Consulting Group and Jeannie Laborde, an author, entrepreneur, and speaker. Folks, thanks so much for joining me today. Welcome. Just to get us started here, why don't you introduce yourselves and your work? And Jeannie, I'm going to turn to you first, please. All right. I'm Jeannie Laborde, and I've been teaching communication to corporations in the U.S. for a long time. And in in all of this, I've learned that the skills that we teach have many uses. And of course, this particular idea that we're dealing with at the moment is is an actually sort of a new application of the skills that I've been teaching. Very good. And Bob, maybe you can introduce yourself and talk about your current work, please. Yes, sir. Robert Nolan, and uh, I have been involved in mortgage banking for probably 12 to 15 years, and I had a chance to go into the competitive intelligence arena for three or four years, which gave me the introduction to behavioral uh, changes in people uh, during question and answer processes, um, especially at trade shows and uh, different type meetings. So Bob, first party fraud is a significant challenge for banking institutions today. What are the trends that you're seeing in your work? Most of what I am seeing is the problems with the new online applications. Uh, the fraudsters, as you know, are a very smart group of people, and they have access to almost the same technology that the uh, data companies and so forth introduce, and they in, and they have access to it almost immediately. And it's gotten very, very difficult, as as everyone knows, to uh, to detect the fraud uh, on in, on that on that uh, reaction on that uh, online basis, and what we're seeing is uh, a need for the, the banks and larger institutions, lending institutions, to figure out ways to get back to either person-to-person uh, type applications or better communications uh, vis-a-vis the phone when they speak to people after a first uh, online application is submitted. Now, Jeannie, I want to bring you into this because you're an expert in facial expressions, and I want to ask you, when it comes to sitting down with a potential banking customer, why are facial expressions so key? Because you can only control these to a certain extent. I taught my seminar at the United Nations, and these were diplomats who had, many of them had been in the diplomatic service for 20 years, and they didn't think I could read them. And after a day, they realized that I could. I can, I know when someone's telling the truth and when they're not. It's, there's just so many parts of your face that you cannot control. There are some parts you can control, but no matter how, how expert you are at fraud, there are going to be certain giveaways. Bob, is there anything you'd like to add to that based on your experience? Uh, same thing when I work with uh, the folks, especially in the mortgage arena, and they, the first thing is, well, you know, I just use my gut experience to uh, to try it, 
and uh, once we go through the training, uh, they're amazed at what they can do, even though they, they were pretty hardcore at thinking that uh, you really couldn't read some uh, indications of people's expressions. Bob, what do you counsel loan officers to monitor? Uh, I try to get them to make sure they establish a baseline of comfort uh, with the borrowers. Uh, nothing special, just some hi, how are yous and you know, slight introductions, easy introductions. And then as they move throughout the process of the application, look for the things that are becoming uh, more discomforting. And, uh, you know, typically when they get into very um, HUD-1 situation is one that came up the other day. And uh, when you go through and explain those government forms, if the borrower is trying to pull something off, there is a very definite discomfort level that happens. And, of course, there are other uh, areas in the uh, mortgage application uh, that, that prompt that same reaction, too, if the loan officer uh, knows what to look for and how to look for it. Well, that's interesting. Jeannie, do you want to build on that, the, what you asked the, the loan officers to monitor? Yes. Well, the word that I use is congruent. In other words, if you're congruent with your words and your body posture, that is very obvious. And if you're incongruent with your words, then there's something to be checked further. In other words, I don't think of it so much as comfort and discomfort, so that is one component of the whole thing. But there are just, there are just certain things that you can compare. In other words, the idea is that you would... What, what Bob calls a comfort level, that's them telling the truth. And you get a certain template of truthfulness from this one person. Now, you can't carry this across people because it doesn't hold up. In other words, everyone has their own template for truth, and there's a different one, an incongruence that will show up if they're giving you false information. And that's what you want to train people to look for. Well, Jeannie, give us a couple of tips here. What should one look for in an expression if you're trying to um, to determine that someone's trying to pull something over on you? Well, the the one the favorite one that almost no one knows about, which is just it's sort of intriguing to watch it, and that's the lower lip. I learned this from um, a friend of mine who's an expert on creativity, and he had interviewed literally thousands of creative people in his studies. He's a psychologist at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And in all these interviews, he had learned that the lower lip is the one part of your face that will give you away. And, there, you know, we don't usually pay attention to the lower lip. So it's, it's just it's a real pattern interrupt to teach people how to do this. But once you do that, there will be a difference when they're telling the truth and when they're not. Well, how so? Do people bite their lower lip? Do they? Uh, oh, they bite they it. They they wiggle it. They it disappears. It reappears. <laughs> it gets fuller. It's it's all different. But it will be a different configuration than if they're telling the truth. Interesting. But and there are other things. I mean, there's also a breathing rate. See if. Chances are your breathing will shift, and 
people breathe sometimes really low in the belly, sometimes sort of mid belly, sometimes upper chest, and they'll pl- and they breathe they breathe fast and they breathe slow and they breathe with sort of little hiccups in their breath, and chances are the breathing rate will shift as well. In other words, we're accustomed to thinking of looking for shifty eyes. But if you're a really good fraud expert, you probably can control your eyes. But you can't control the breathing, and you can't control the lower lip. And there's some skin color changes that will occur as well. Now, the skin color changes are rather subtle, so you have to practice a bit before you're good at noticing these, but they will show up. In other words, little blotches of color will show up on the face, and there'll be small muscles in the face that will jump and become tense and tight. Well, it's interesting. Bob, do you want to build upon that? I'd be curious uh, some of the tips that you would offer to loan officers. Well, I'm an eyes guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I, I was taught that from uh, my early uh, school experiences, but uh, the more I look at it, uh, I, I look for some squinting uh, I know that that's also uh, an indication of maybe eyeglasses, but when you're not in a situation that you may be giving some false information, you're probably not going to notice that if they need eyeglasses. But uh, the eyes are one of the areas that I that I uh, recommend they look at. Uh, the nostrils I, I look at because of the flaring. Um, but mostly I, I like the eye movement itself because if they're very jittery and they're looking for different areas, and Jeannie is an expert in this, but when they're looking for areas of what they uh, said before and they have to pause in order to remember exactly what it was that they uh, they offered in a previous question, especially if you get into, uh, like I like to, uh, to get the, the uh, students to look into what we call looping, and that's back loop back from one section of an application to a, another one, and uh, they, the the borrower has to if they're lying they have to go back and see what it is that they were, what they told you in the beginning of the process, and make sure it matches up to what it is now. Bob, you've talked about the type of training that you and Jeannie offer for banking executives that are looking to cut down on this first party fraud. What kind of training is required, and for whom is this training required? Well, it, well, I, it, well yeah. I'm sorry. You want to answer that, Bob? Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what we do, actually, is teach you how to become more perceptive. In other words, you see more and you hear more. In other words, a lot of information is in the voice, in the tone, the tempo, the volume, the resonance in the voice. All of this will probably shift as you move through your congruence and incongruence. So there's a whole lot of information besides the words. I mean, the words are one thing, but there's all this other information in the voice. And you really, uh, just, just to add to that, you really need to make sure that you're addressing the people who are ultimately making any contact at all with the um, with the applicant, whether it's for a credit card or mortgage or uh, you know equity or any kind of any kind of loan like that, um, I think we've tried to look at too many um, situations where they just try to pass it through the system uh, without 
being able to or wanting to even talk to anybody to save time. So whoever it is from banking that needs to speak to the person, uh, they're the ones that uh, because they're the ones that have to speak to them in the in, in the final category. And they have to be able to listen uh, for the reactions after learning how to ask the questions the proper way. And uh, you, it's a it's a preparation of those questions that is the key. Uh, I was watching a uh, show this morning about the the drill Marine Drill Corps, and you talk about precision and practice. They, those guys are all over it. So, if you're going to be in, if you're going to be approving loans, uh, the person who is actually going to be contacting the customer at some point in time uh, needs that training. Folks, one last question for you, Bob. Let me toss this to you first, and Jeannie, I'll give you the last word. What advice would you offer? to anyone, whether they're in banking or in some other industry, that's looking to cut down on first-party fraud? If you could just sum it all up. Uh, I would throw out online banking. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would absolutely put a limitation on the number of dollars that I would just do online uh, after they've done some assessment of, of the dollars and the different categories of dollars that they're losing uh, per department. Uh, I used an example the other day in a very quick form here, but um, I talked to a fellow the other day who was thinking about this, and I said, well, when was the last time you bought a car online? He said, well, you can't buy a car online. I said, well, that's my point. You know, you can't buy a $50,000 BMW just because you've got great credit. They've got it down to where you've got to go in and see that financial uh, manager and uh, not that the car companies are great examples uh, in today's world, but why do we want to give somebody half a million dollar line of credit or, or a loan without ever meeting them? Never made sense to me. And Jeannie? Well, the other, the other thing is that our seminar is at a desk conducted over three days, and in three days we spend about 80% of that time in practice. In other words, they're actually practicing learning these skills of perception, of improved perception, being able to see more and hear more and understand the other person at a deeper level than most people do in a, in a business transaction. And it, it's the practice that makes the difference. You don't just learn this in one instant and then go out and use it. It takes some practice. But with, a, with three days of practice, you really become an expert. And, of course, the other, the other interesting thing is that not only will you be improved in perceiving fraud or untrue statements or just somebody who's just not on the up and up, you, not only can you do that, but you also can maintain rapport with people while you're checking them out. See, that's one thing. If you start asking a lot of questions, you may break rapport, which means that you've lost a customer. And you really don't want to lose a customer if it's a good customer. So you, you need to have extra skills to know how to maintain rapport while you're in this interrogation mode. And what happens is with deeper rapport, you actually make your client happier and they will continue to do business with you. Well, it sounds so there's extra benefits with being 
really good at understanding other people. I mean, you could think of this as not so much fraud detection. It's actually understanding your client so that you can do a good job for them. And part of doing a good job for them is staying in business, which is <laughs> you're not going to be able to do that if you have too many fraudulent clients. Folks, that's sound advice. Jeannie and Bob, I want to thank you both for your time and your insight today. Very good. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I enjoyed talking with you. The topic has been first-party fraud and how to prevent it. We've been talking with Jeannie Laborde and Robert Nolan. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.